Parenting is a full-time job, and providing effective support for today's teens can be challenging. The Parent Engage 360 podcast aims to provide connections and information from experts in the fields of chemical health, mental health, internet safety, and more. It's a comprehensive view on parenting, provided in a personal, convenient format. Tune in to today's episode of the Parent Engage 360 podcast series. Hello and thank you for joining us today. I'm Liz Burgard, the Parent Involvement Coordinator. In our last episode, we learned about the role of a school resource officer and their vital role in safety, building relationships, and getting comfortable in talking with law enforcement. In today's episode, we are going to hear from Greg Cole, Chief Operations Officer, and Tim Fournier, Manager of Security and Emergency Operation, about the district's approach to school safety. We believe that all students learn better when every student is in a safe and supportive learning environment. Anoka Hennepin School's first priority is the safety of its students and staff, and everyone plays a role in keeping schools safe. Greg and Tim, thank you so much for being here today to discuss this important topic. Hey, welcome. Glad to be here. Glad to be here. Greg, can you start us off and uh, tell the audience a little bit about yourself and your role as a Chief Operations Officer in Anoka Hennepin? Yeah, so I've been Chief Operations Officer in Anoka Hennepin since 2019. And in this role, I have responsibility for buildings and grounds, uh, transportation, child nutrition, insurance and liability, and safety and security. Before this role, I was a district-wide administrator primarily with responsibility over discipline policy and managing challenging situations in our school district. I did that for 13 years, uh, worked closely with district administration and our school board. I've also been an assistant principal in the school district and a teacher in the school district. So I've had an opportunity to work in a lot of different buildings and and see Anoka Hennepin from, from a lot of different lenses. So I know that that's helped with regard to how we plan for and continue to improve our safety and security plans. I know that you have had a lot of extensive use and understanding of how the district works too in those various roles that you've had as well, which made you a great candidate and fit for your role in as the chief operations officer as well. Yeah, thanks. Tim, how about you? Can you tell the, the listeners a little bit about your background in law enforcement and um, how you became a staff member in Anoka Hennepin? Sure. This is my third school year, so I was hired in the fall of 2020. Uh, my general job descriptions, uh, it, you know, it's, it's, it kind of varies, but it's basically the daily management of district security, right, including the students and staff, uh, safety, facilities, and emergency operations. So any type of an emergency that might arise, uh, I, I help uh, provide a liaison for our district administration to the local law enforcement and our emergency responders. So um, many times I interact with them on behalf of the district to, to help deal with anything that might come up. I'm also responsible for uh, managing the SRO programs and making sure that a lot of our, our safety and security technology works uh, on a daily basis. Uh, and prior to uh, joining the team here, I was in law enforcement, 29 years as a police officer, primarily in New Hope, uh, where the last 10 years or so of my career, I was chief of police for the city of New Hope. So I uh, have had a, a great law enforcement career, like, like many of my colleagues do. I spent 15 years as a SWAT operator. I was an SRO at Cooper High School in New Hope, and I attended the FBI National Academy. So 
I've enjoyed that time, and I think it was um, it was a perfect fit for me to to start here and work in this capacity. We're glad that you joined us. It seems like I didn't realize that you've already been here for your third school year, so you've had a lot of time in the district uh, and in your former career as well. That really was a good fit to help our schools um, navigate a lot of the things that come up each and every day. So we're glad that you're here and thanks for joining us again. You're welcome. Greg, in 2017, voters approved the Fit for the Future referendum, which addressed the facility needs to create safe and secure learning environments for both students and staff. I know that's a mouthful, but can you please share with our listeners what types of updates have happened and are are continuing to happen from that referendum that was passed? Seems like a long time ago. <laughs> yeah, we've had multiple construction phases that have impacted a lot of buildings across our district. The heaviest work was done on our high schools. But with regard to security and safety, you know, I won't get into all the details about all the projects that we did for that bond. And there are many, and we continue to mm -hmm. thank our voters for supporting that because it's it's really had a tremendous impact on our kids' experience and our staff members' experience, and actually the the, the community experience. So it's it's just been tremendous. Specifically with security and safety, I think to keep things in a nutshell, one is to uh, eliminate uh, as much as possible in every school building across our system, having our students have to go from one building to another building um, mm -hmm. in order to reach their classes. So bringing all that into one space, the only exception that we have for that would be our physical education classes during the warmer months. You know, they will go outside and they'll do uh, and participate in activities. Obviously our after school activities are exceptions, but during the school day when a student is moving from a science class to an English class, for example, we didn't want them going outside any longer to a separate building because it created a number of concerns with regard to their safety and the, and the safety of our staff. So that was one big thing that we were able to accomplish. And, and specifically through the removal of portable classrooms across our system. The second thing is ensuring secured entrances at every facility with a visitor management system that gives us the ability to screen all visitors. So one, we funnel everybody through one entrance that is secured. And then two, we have an ability to take a look and, and make sure that the person who's entering our facility is someone that um, we're comfortable with entering the facility. So those two things we were able to replicate across the system and it moved us forward uh, significantly with regard to improving our access points and our ability to screen visitors. Can either of you also talk about how that has um, helped us to stay up with the latest safety measures? And we know that things change every year with requirements that are needed. All of our schools now have a, a the same entrance where you have to put your ID in to get into the building. Have we noticed a lot of changes or a positive impact with those updates that we've made? Well, I'll start, and I I know Tim has many examples, but I think one huge benefit is we have a lot of situations where we have some pretty complex family dynamics and so our students come to school and you know oftentimes they have no choice in the matter but their family circumstances such where there may be some pretty significant conflict or family members who engage in illegal behavior 
and we may have reasons why we do not want a particular individual interacting with that student or any student for that matter. So I think one big change is our ability to vet that in a pretty fast way and then have protocols in place to deal with situations mm -hmm. when we're going to deny access to somebody. And that can, that can be pretty uncomfortable for staff members sometimes. So mm -hmm. I know Tim has done a lot of training and provided a lot of support to those frontline people who have to have those conversations on the spot in a way that is respectful, but also has our student and staff security at the forefront of, of that communication and decision-making. So I don't know if you want to add more to that, Tim. I think that was a great summary. You know, these trends in safety uh, and security, whether they're physical, uh, you know, measures, technological measures, those kinds of things, they do run the gamut. And, you know, unfortunately, we, we do continue to see acts of violence throughout the country, you know, perpetrated at school buildings that require us to continuously look, you know, inward first to make sure that we have the right tools in our toolbox, so to speak. And then mm -hmm. are those tools effective and uh, can we do better? And I think uh, we've had a lot of support from the school board on making sure we have the right tools in our toolbox and, and those tools do work. I also uh, am in contact uh, quite often with my counterparts throughout the metro and outstate. And we talk about what works, what doesn't, what's the latest trend. And we do share information among each other. So um, it's kind of a, it's a big collective on, on not only keeping our staff and students uh, safe in Anoka Hennepin, but it's a collective throughout Minnesota. Uh, we all are are trying to do the same thing, which is provide the safest learning environment we can. Thank you for sharing that, both of you. I think it's really important because things have changed, right? Since we went to school, um, technology has changed. The, the A lot of things about school, of how we think about school, have changed since our kids have gone through school or students now that are attending Anoka Hennepin or all schools across the country. And I think it's really important, like you had mentioned, Tim, to know what our colleagues are doing and really knowing what is best practice right now in 2023 for school safety and even technology use and all of those things that because things continue to morph and change sometimes faster than adults know because kids are really into technology and oftentimes know even more than me. So I think that's a great point of just you kind of always have to be on the forefront of it and knowing what what is happening and what are other people doing around us so that we can also um, speak to that as well. And then like you had mentioned, um, Greg, as well, just a thank you to our voters in 2017, which seems a long time ago. A lot has happened with COVID in there, but because of them going out to vote and approving measures for Anoka Hennepin to continue and to add additional things to make our students safe, along with enhancing other things that are buildings as well. Along that same vein, or kind of in that same conversation, we know that visitors, when they come to the building, they need to have a, a driver's license or an ID and put it into the machine. And then the front office staff will print them a badge, whether they're a visitor or a volunteer, or why they're in the building. Can you share how parents or guardians need to plan accordingly when they come to visit the school? Is there any other things they need um, when they come? You know, I, I don't know. I think you spelled it out. I mean, I think that you know, one thing that we want to, to do simultaneously is we want our schools to be welcoming places mm -hmm. and we want our schools to be very secure places. And um, accomplishing those two things at the same time is a challenge. So I think the main thing is for parents to understand, and, and our parents have been great. So, 
I'm just responding to your question about, you know, what, what would you prepare for or think about identification, you know, is one, but also just an understanding that, you know, they may be in a hurry or, you know, um, obviously the, as a parent, when you come to school, you don't feel you're an unsafe person, but you know, many of our schools have a lot of students, um, in -hmm. some cases, thousands of students. And so just patience, I guess, is really the main thing. Patience and understanding that we're not judging anybody. We're not trying to be difficult. We really want to be welcoming, but at the same time, you know, we need to go through a process to ensure that we're, we're vetting visitors as much as possible. I think I can speak for myself on that. I, and my kids also dilly dally when I go to get them to get out of school, to sign them out. So I also have to give my kids more, have more patience for my children when it takes them 15 minutes. Cause I know they're not fast movers when I get there. Yeah. So also just having that t- extra time and knowing that it might take a little bit longer because your student also needs to come to you at the front of the building to be checked out of school or to leave the school premises. And, you know, to add to that, I would say that it's not just about, you know, the, the entrance to the building. We, we do have a lot of parents, particularly at elementary and middle school, who drive to either drop off or pick up their children. Mm-hmm. And again, the vast majority of parents by a mile are super patient. Sometimes the lines are long and it takes a while. Um, but we would ask, you know, sometimes s- some folks get impatient and, um, and sometimes we get some, some conflicts that can arise out of that. So again, I would just say, regardless of whether you're picking them up in your car or you're coming into the building, patience is super important. And, um, and, and we really appreciate that from folks. And I would just ask that of everyone that, that they just be patient, um, because we will Mm -hmm. get them in contact with their kids. That's really the goal. We just want to be sure that it's safe and that we are giving the right student to the right person. Mm-hmm. which is the important, most important thing each and every day. To switch gears a little bit, but it's still under the umbrella of safety. We know that oftentimes as parents, we hear lockdown, lockout, fire drill. There's a lot of drills or some drills that students are doing each a couple times a year, or parents might hear about it on the news uh, and maybe not understand what each of those things mean. Would either of you be able to talk through kind of what a lockdown and a lockout and what some of our safety procedures are and how these different situations occur and why we practice them to ensure safety for both our students and our staff? Uh, Sure, I can take this if you want. So it's a great question because terms are mixed up a lot and and many times Mm -hmm. they're mixed up by the news media and how they're reported. And you hear the word lockdown probably more than anything else. But that really tends to be the most rare circumstance that we would ever uh, encounter. And the lockdown basically means that there's an active threat inside the building. That's what lockdown means. But many times schools go into what we call a lockout or a shelter in place or a hold. And that's a completely different thing. But the news will report it as lockdown. So people think when they think when they hear the word lockdown, they think there's they think active shooter. Honestly, that's what comes to mind for most parents. And I don't blame them for that. But in our district, we use many terms and lockdown is just that. It refers to an active threat inside the building, which is still the most rare type of of event. However, it's used for many reasons. Uh, A lot of times 
lockdowns in a lot of schools nationwide are used to quickly move students out of common areas and into secure places. And, you know, this is done for large disturbances, fights at the bigger, at the high schools, you know, other issues of disruption in the school. Sometimes the office staff will be dealing with someone in the office area that's disruptive and it's safest to put the children into a lockdown. So the word uh, tends to be misused, um, but in our in our situation in Edinokanapan, lockdown means just that, a threat of some kind inside the building. Lock, lock out is more or less the way the buildings are already functioning. The doors are locked, except for that front, front main vestibule entrance, which is open uh, where you come in and get your ID. But in a lockout situation, that means there's something going on outside the building. And this will occur once in a while. We get notified by law enforcement that they're looking for someone in the area, someone on foot or someone has eluded them. And they're letting us know, hey, uh, we're out. We have officers in your area looking for somebody. We suggest you go into lockout. And all that really means is we prevent anybody from coming in. The students and staff can go about their day as normal, going from class to class, moving around the hallways, but that building is secured from the outside. That's what a lockout is. So there's a little bit of a difference there, obviously. We also use terms shelter, hold, evacuate as part of our training. And it's very important for the staff to understand the difference. And when we do drills, which are mandated by the state of Minnesota, we are mandated to do five lockdown, lockout type drills per school year, along with the five fire drills and one weather drill, we do practice different versions of those. So staff have an idea, hey, here's what I'm going to do when this would occur. And here's my role in this event. So we try to, we try to make them as um, routine as we can. Uh, we don't practice mm-hmm. active shooter drills. We don't involve students or staff in active shooter drills uh, during the school year. We simply test the technology and, ch- and test their, their knowledge of what their role is as a staff member. And the students also understand, especially at the elementary level, they understand that they need to move into their classroom. That's really all we're asking them to do. As they get older, the kids understand what lockdown means and what that is. But again, it's, it's, uh, we keep a pretty low profile. We're looking to test the technology and we're looking to test the staff into uh, what their roles are so they can best keep our uh, our students safe. I think what you had mentioned is really important because they those terms do get mixed around a lot, especially in the media with saying a certain thing. And then, and then for me, then I'm like, oh, that's what a lockdown means. But I think you did a really nice job of separating what they what they could be and why we would use or why we would have them in our schools. And then also the importance of practicing them as a staff person, because we do want to know what we need to do should those situations arise. However, we both know or we all know that it doesn't happen a lot in schools, but it does happen and we do need to know what we need to do in case an emergency does arise. To follow up, can either of you share how important it is for our staff and students to have to, to practice these procedures? I know you hit on it a little bit, Tim, but why we do need to practice them, kind of um, what you had mentioned that it's mandated by the state, but also because things do happen. You know, I'll kind of jump in with just the history in the last couple decades. Uh, we've been practicing for some time. You know, back in the early 2000s is when we were looking at legislation, which we required uh, 10 fire drills per year and no other type of drill. Wow. And, and the reality of the number of times in North America that fires have actually caused problems in schools has been minuscule. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, there were 
events occurring, tragic events that involve people doing bad things. And there wasn't necessarily any type of mandated drills that to, to try to minimize the impact of those tragic events. So that's, that's where we started doing it. But along the way, we've learned a lot. And I think that while I do believe it's important for students to, to participate in some of these drills, really what we've learned is it's most important that the adults know mm -hmm. what to do in, in a variety of different situations because kindergarten through 12th grade, by and large, our, our students look to the adults, you know, for guidance in, in certain situations like this. And so it's most important that the adults know. The other piece that I would just add is we've spent a lot of time and I would say we continue to evaluate, you know, the age approach appropriateness of different types of drills because they they may have a very different impact on a 17-year-old than they do on a seven-year-old. Mm -hmm. Those are the other types of things that, that we consider. And Tim has done, done a terrific job of working with our K through 12 schools, you know, to, to kind of differentiate that depending on, you know, the, the level and understanding of our students. That history is quite interesting. I actually, that's something new that I learned today of just what it has been and how we've talked even earlier about technology morphing, just all the things that we do every day in our schools continues to evolve and change. So I, I appreciate that history too, of what it was like in the early 2000s to where we are today, you know, 23 years later. Tim, earlier you mentioned a little bit about working with local law enforcement and our the relationships we have with them when incidents happen in the community or may or may not happen in our schools. Can you talk, uh, share with the audience that's listening a little bit about how local law enforcement and other first responders really support our district safety plan and how we work together in coordination to make sure that our student staff and our community are safe? Sure. I mean, these relationships are, are really important. And, you know, many of these uh, officers that, that serve this area, they do have children that go to our school district and go to the school districts around us where all other measures are in place similar to ours. And, you know, we want that relationship to be an open one, a transparent one, and it is. And I'm, I'm very happy to be part of that. And that's the way uh, it was when I was chief uh, with New Hope, with the Robbinsville School District, and working with them. And that's the way it is here. The officers, they do have a vested interest, obviously, in the safety and security of our schools. It's very near and dear to them. Um, the last thing they want to do is is come to any of our sites on on these unthinkable tragedies that we see happen um, much too often around the United States. And so we allow them the ability to not only uh, be, become familiar with their schools, whether they already are because they're parents, mm -hmm. but we, uh, we invite them into our sites, uh, you know, when we're on spring break and, and when we're off site to, uh, to allow them to train in the schools. We want them to understand the layouts of these buildings. We want them to know what these buildings look like on the inside. So should they need to come here, they have a pretty good understanding of, of how to work through these buildings. And in turn, where staff can observe the training that the officers do, it adds a layer of confidence to the staff to know that these officers uh, are highly trained. Uh, they're very good at what they do. And their job is to, to come to our aid when we need it. And so those partnerships are important. And the school resource officers we have from our six area departments uh, we have 12 school resource officers throughout our district, and they're very important uh, also to the to the integral daily interaction uh, of safety and security. Mm -hmm. And they're also just great for the kids. 
to be around. I mean, they're high five in the kids. A lot of them teach in the classes. We have SROs that are actual coaches for some of our, uh, our teams because they have that, that community and that vested interest in the sites and, uh, and in the kids. And that's, you can't, you, you can't, you know, put a price on that. I think that's a super important factor that we want to keep going. In our last episode, uh, we had one of the, the SRO from Champlain Park, Officer Dickman, talk mm-hmm. a little bit about what you had said, where he is a coach. And that was the thing that he said was the best part about his job is really getting to build those relationships with students and for them to see him as an officer, but also in the hallway, giving kids high fives or being their their basketball coach too, and really building the trust amongst the, the students at Champlain Park. And I'm sure that the other SRO officers in our other sites do that as well. I was really um, in a great conversation and to learn more about what that relationship is like in a school and also how that relationship is with the the city of, of in that case, Brooklyn Park or Brooklyn Center. But so if, if you didn't listen to the last podcast, you definitely should. Can I, can I just add one thing to what Tim said? Because I, I do think it's really important. What Tim has brought to us as being a former chief of police is a credibility um, with our law enforcement agencies in terms of information sharing, mm-hmm. you know, they, there's a lot of pressure in, in crisis situations on our law enforcement entities that, that are a part of Anoka Hennepin schools and relaying accurate information in a timely fashion is, is just a pressure that chiefs are under frequently. And oftentimes, they they may be reluctant to share information because they're not sure what that what what's going to be done with that information but because mm-hmm. of Tim's experience and his previous roles particularly as a chief you know we have had access to information very fast because there's faith and trust that Tim will not share information that he should not share but at the mm-hmm. same time we're getting information very fast so There are many a time throughout a school year where Tim and I and some other folks around the district are communicating with each other late at night in some cases because something has popped up and the the speed and accuracy of information really helps us make better decisions as a result of that relationship that exists with many of our law enforcement agencies. And I knew Tim wasn't going to, uh, (laughs) you know, toot his own horn with regard to that, but I can do it. And I can tell you that it's made a really big difference with regard to the the accuracy and the effectiveness of the responses that we have to situations. I appreciate you um, tooting Tim's horn and for sharing that with people, because I do think that rela- that relationship and that communication is really vital, as was shared in the last podcast and throughout this, that we do want to keep our community, along with our students and our staff who are part of that and our school safe. And so really working together closely has is really huge. So thanks for bringing that with you, Tim, and in your role within Nanoka Hennepin. How about parents who aren't maybe comfortable talking about this topic or aren't in the day-to-day of the weeds like you guys are, um, where you have these conversations often, you're thinking about keeping our students and staff safe each and every day. Do you have any tips for parents if they're wondering how to have a conversation with their kid about lockdowns, lockouts, or if they're or felt unsafe at school because of a tornado drill that they did? Are there any talking points or things that maybe you've shared with with students or your own kids at some point that would help parents? 
You know, I usually tell parents, you know, it, it's, and I'm a parent too, and I have a child in the district, you know, it's, it's okay to talk about stuff and then just understand the age appropriate level that you're, you're mm-hmm. talking, you know, uh, through, obviously, as Greg said, someone who's seven is, you're going to approach that differently than someone who's 17. And most parents know that, but just like parents and, and families have, you know, security plans at their own homes, you know, how to exit the house for a fire or what to do if a stranger comes to the door and you're home alone, that kind of thing. You talk about those kinds of things, and we want the same kind of conversation to occur when you're at school. So we have systems in place. Many families talk about that, about about being at home alone or, and that kind of thing. Well, we have systems in place at school too. And we want you to have fun when you're at school, but we also want you to know that there are ways that you're going to stay safe at school. And we have to practice those ways to stay safe. So you can gauge the level of understanding based on your own child. Um, and then there are resources out there uh, through uh, uh, Minnesota Department of Homeland Security. There are ways to talk to children about these things. And, you know, these kids, they see a lot more on a daily basis now at, at such a young age than I ever would have seen at my age, the 24-7 news cycle and the way social media works. And unfortunately, parents have to get out ahead of that a lot faster in life than they would ever think. Um, because these kids are seeing more and they know more about what goes on. When you have a tragedy, such as what happened in Nashville or anything like that, uh, or even police officers being killed in the line of duty, these kids see this. They see this fast and they see this, it's right in their face. And so parents can't be afraid to bring that up and, and, and work on ways to, uh, to help them you know, talk about what they're feeling and, and, and help them understand uh, that we're we're trying to come up with ways and we're working. We keep ways to we have ways to make them safe and we have ways to keep them safe in school. We want them to have a positive school experience. So parents can't be afraid to talk about it and then gauge that at the level of the child they're, they're dealing with. I think through all of our themes of our podcast that we've talked about a lot of topics that as sometimes as a parent, I'm like, oh, I didn't know I'd ever be talking about that with my child, but here we go. So I think what you had said, Tim, is just being comfortable with talking about the uncomfortable. Maybe it's a topic that you don't know a lot about or aren't the that's not what you do in your day to day life. So maybe you don't know much about it. But I think a lot of times, too, as a parent, it's just really listening to your kid and knowing, like you had said, their age and kind of what how you know them best as a parent. So what your response would be. But I think through each of these topics, it's really just to listen and to let your kid know that that you're there to help them and support them and that you're willing to talk about things that maybe you don't know a lot about and you can find additional things online or or whatever but i think it's just like you had said it's just important to talk about things if your kids bring them up and to be there if they need you and and being a parent is is um hard <laughs> at any age whether they're a baby or they're 45 as we wrap up today's podcast, are there any closing remarks that either of you have that you would want to share with the parents or guardians or community members that are listening to our podcast today? Yeah, I, I would say that one thing that I want people to know is we constantly review things that happen within our own school district, what happens in the state of Minnesota, and uh, what happens nationally. In terms of successes, you know, terrible events that are averted because of strong reporting systems that are in place or tips, right? But also tragedies that occur, not from the standpoint of 
you know, picking those apart and trying to figure out what somebody did wrong. But really from the standpoint of debriefing about everything, whether it's a success or a failure, you know, that's one thing that I think Tim has also brought to is I, I think that's just a part of, you know, highly performing law enforcement officers, they debrief constantly. And I think that that's something that we've become better at. And we have, we, we have as more of a habit where we, we talk about events that occur and really examine whether or not we feel good about the plans that we have in place, whether we see vulnerabilities. And if we do, what, what are we going to do about those? And, and that's really an ongoing thing. I think anytime you get complacent or you think that you have it all figured out, I would say that's the first step to not having a secure system. Mm-hmm. But being humble and being open and learning from others, other school districts, other agencies, law enforcement partners, those are really the opportunities to, to take a, you know, a really good look at your facilities and your, your procedures and your practices to make sure that, that they're the best that they can be. So that is an ongoing, ever-changing process. I, I will tell you that we never have the attitude that we have it all figured out mm-hmm. because that's, that's not a safe attitude to have. So, and I, I'm sure Tim has a lot to add to that. <laughs> Actually, I, I think he did, that's, that was great. I, I will say that when I was hired here, I was, I was incredibly impressed at how expansive the system was here to, to do the best to ensure a safe learning environment. I was really impressed by what the district had already done. And I only hope to add to that. And it is a multi-layered approach, and we do continuously evaluate it. I'm also very thankful to a lot of the the staff here. The staff has been, they're awesome. They they really, they do care about the kids in so many ways. And safety is just part of it. Uh, mm-hmm. And they're they're very adapt to, uh, uh, adapt to, to working with the different ideas we might have to make them more secure. And then the parents themselves, I, I talk to a lot of parents who are very thankful and they feel very, safe uh, about their kids coming here. And that's our job is to continuously evaluate this, make changes where we need to, uh, look inward when we when we need to. And you know, communication is key. Our communications department, I think, is second to none. And the more we can communicate to parents about what we do and what goes on and how we handle things, the better. And I know sometimes it's frustrating for parents when they don't hear something as fast as they want to, but we really take the time to make sure the information is correct and it doesn't have mm-hmm. to be corrected later. And so we, we, we make sure that what information goes out about any event is the correct information. And sometimes we know many times, most of the time, we're not going to beat social media to the punch on that one. Parents listen to police clips. Parents listen to things online. And they figure things out before they hear officially from the district. And mm-hmm. then they wonder why officially we took so long. Well, when it's official, we have to make sure it's correct and right. And we are working with our law enforcement partners, too, in that communication area to make sure we don't say something we shouldn't. And law enforcement also doesn't want to say something they shouldn't. So it's a partnership. And so I always ask for, for uh, patience when it comes to getting messages out about events that might occur. Um, but we are working very hard to always continuously improve on that. One thing that I would like to end with and and just kind of top that off with that is oftentimes not talked about, which I've heard more than once um, at different trainings that I've been at. And the most recent was from the Secret Service, who 
had two speakers who specialize specifically in tragic events that occur, mass shooting or mass killing types of events, specifically with schools. And the one thing that they pointed out that is statistically from their research, the most important preventative measure that schools can have is to have a safe and welcoming environment, to have an environment where the students feel like they belong, that they have people they can connect with and communicate with, and they feel supported. Because in those circumstances, the information sharing is, is exponential. And oftentimes, because of that, kids share information. They share things that they're concerned about or worried about that they hear or see. And oftentimes, those tips are ones that lead to preventing things that we never hear about. And, and that's, that's really the goal is we want to provide support and prevent things from, from, from happening that no one ever hears about or sees. And I, I can't emphasize enough how important that is. So when we talk about safety and security and planning and preparation, that's a really big part about what we do in working with our administrators, our counseling staff, our student services department. It's really a team effort in, in regard to how we can create, you know, great schools, fun places that everybody belongs, but also have nice support systems in place when students aren't doing well or when they see that others aren't doing well and they're concerned about certain comments or behaviors and they, and they reach out to people to, to not necessarily to tell on somebody, but more to provide them the support or help that they need, you know, in order to get them into a better place. And so that's just something that I, I wanted to bring up that I don't know is talked about enough. We talk a lot about the infrastructure and the drilling and the types of things that law enforcement are involved in, which are all very important. I, I, they're huge, but as important, if not more important, is the type of school that you have and the type of culture and climate that you have. So I just wanted to call that out because it is a part of what we do and what we believe in as a part of keeping our kids safe. I think that is a wonderful way to end our podcast today. Thank you for bringing that up, Greg. I think it's um, when students feel connected to the school and we have a, a place that they want to be, it also alleviates a lot of the other stuff that we've been talking about today. Thank you both so much for being here today to tell our listeners a little bit about what the district does for safety and security and having safe and welcoming environments for our students and staff. And thanks for all you do each and every day to keep us safe and to just be amazing leaders in our organization as well and, and keeping in the forefront of, of what's happening in the world. So thank you so much for being here. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening. This resource is produced as a partnership between the Anoka Hennepin Parent Engagement Program and Student Services Department. Be sure to check out additional episodes in the Parent Engage 360 podcast series. For more information or to share feedback, visit ahschools.us slash parentengage360.